I really love guacamole. Perfect, perfect avocados with salt and garlic and lemon and really hot salsa. But it's hard really to discern. It's one of the very few things I think I can make in the kitchen. But it's hard to discern if the avocado is ripe and ready to be mashed up, isn't it? I mean, and you need to have it just right to have that perfect guacamole. You, you squeeze, so you squeeze the outside of the avocado, right? The squeeze test. And you look at the outward appearance of the avocado. And if it passes the squeeze test, it looks good. You open it up and uh, you use it. Sometimes you're really disappointed. <laughs> you open it up, and inside, you're, to your surprise, it is dark, it's mushy, and it's rotten. Sometimes the outside of the avocado looks good, but the inside is spoiled. So it is in the spiritual realm. The same is true in the spiritual realm. When you look good on the outside, and yet your heart is darkened. When the outside, maybe words and behaviors, locations of your life do not match the inside of your heart. When those things don't match, Jesus has a word for it. In Luke chapter 6, 39 through 45, it's the word that we've heard before. It's called hypocrisy. Or, you want to state it positively, integrity, but you lack integrity. If your inner man does not match your outer behavior, you lack integrity. You lack integrity. And Jesus in Luke chapter 6 is speaking to a crowd, a large crowd, the text says. And he's speaking, the text actually says in this sermon, he's speaking to a crowd of disciples, of professing disciples, of followers of Jesus. And some in that crowd, I'm sure, are on the fence about Jesus. Some believe in really and are following the Pharisees that represent true, the Judaism of Jesus' day. Many of those, those would-be disciples are probably really confused. Some, I'm sure, have have put their faith in Christ. Like we're going to see in the next chapter, the centurion, even a Gentile, had put his faith in Christ by this time in the ministry. So some of those disciples were real. Some were false. 
but all were very interested in Jesus and were very much following him. And so Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, in this first extended ser- sermon, is trying to help these, this crowd of disciples, trying to show them what a true believer, a genuine disciple looks like. That's the whole point of the sermon in Luke chapter 6. That's the theme, discerning discipleship. And what we found is that the true disciple is the blessed one, the blessed man who has been humbled before God, who has seen his sin and thirsts for righteousness, longs for it. And this blessed man may be persecuted for the sake of Christ, but he will love his enemies. He will love his enemies because he is a son or daughter of the Most High and has a relationship with his father. And because he's in relationship with the father, there's a father and son thing going on. He resembles his father. He has the very heart. He's been implanted the heart of the father, a kind and merciful heart. A new heart has been given. And that expresses itself, as we saw last time, with certain dispositions and attitudes, right? You're not... not, uh, judging and not condemning and you're forgiving and giving. It's just the disposition of this new heart and that bursts forth out of the ground with, with the fruit of love even for enemies. And that's what Jesus is doing. He ends with the heart. He's trying to dig down deep to this crowd of disciples and to show us that true Christianity, true Religion is not some sort of externalism, that a true disciple has been changed on the inside, and that inside change affects the outside behavior. In fact, what is within you, what is within you will always eventually manifest itself on the outside. Always. So let's read it. Luke chapter nine, uh, chapter six, verse thirty-nine. And he also spoke a parable to them, and of course the them is, according to verse twenty, those who call themselves disciples. Verse 17, there's a large crowd of them. He said to them, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For... For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces 
good fruit, four. Each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. True discipleship flows from the heart. Heart change that, that manifests itself outwardly proves genuine discipleship. In other words, I mean, if you want to put it positively, the disciple of Jesus Christ has integrity. The inward heart will match the outward actions. So listen, professing disciple, everyone probably in this room is in the category of a professing disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone probably in this room. Professing disciple of Jesus, what is actually happening in your heart? What's your heart like? And Jesus is inviting us this morning to look inside, to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts, to look for hypocrisy, for real Christianity springs forth from within. So by God's grace, in the next few minutes, we're going to listen to three parables and hopefully grasp the one point of the parables. That's what we're going to do. First then, listen. I changed my outline. I apologize. It's not much different. Listen to three parables to see the danger of hypocrisy. Listen to three parables to see the danger of hypocrisy. The first parable is the blind guide. Number one, the blind guide. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? So if you go over to Israel, and you're in the land of the, the hilly country, and there's a blind man right in front of you, and you're blind as well, and you go out to the countryside in Palestine, and you grab the guy's, blind guy's shoulders, and he starts walking, and you're following him, let me tell you what's going to happen. The, the terrain over there is rugged and irregular. It's not paved. It's not going to work. You will plow forward, but you will both fall into a pit. And in Jesus' day, there were all kinds of these pits. 
These were holes into which people would fall and break bones and die. This is not uh, a pothole. Now, in Minnesota, some of our potholes are, I think, like Palestinian pits. I get it. Our whole car goes in. But it's not a pothole. It's not like you're going into the ditch and it's an inconvenience. No, no. This word for pit here, here's what I want you to think of. This is what the the Greek term means. It's a black kind of bottomless pit. You You can't fathom, you can't just see down to the bottom. It's like falling into a dark cave or how about this one? Or walking along in a piece of land and you go through some bad wood and you fall down into a deep, dark, abandoned well. This is what this word means. It's not going to end well. If you fall into the pit, you break bones, you're dead. That's what this is saying. This is, therefore, that's really the interpretation. And for every one of these parables, there is a warning and an encouragement for would-be disciples, for professing disciples of Jesus Christ. So first, the warning here. The warning is this. You can be blind, but think that you see. In the days of our Lord Jesus Christ, when this was written, the religion of the day was superficial, external, self-righteousness, but the hearts of the spiritual leaders, the scribes and Pharisees as a whole, our hearts were dark and full of greed and full of envy and full of jealousy, full of people-pleasing, without true faith in the Word of God. That was the religion of the day. A a guide who is blind spiritually, blinded to their own sin, blinded to the beauty of Jesus, hating him instead of longing for him and seeing in him the sacrifice, the solution for their sin. Because this blind individual thinks that he has done enough, he's able to keep the law, He's good enough before God. They think that they see, but they are blind spiritually. So a professing disciple of Jesus. These are disciples that we're talking to here. Not pagans. Professing disciples may think that they see. You think you're okay. You think you're a true believer to the point you got something to say. You want to be a guide. You want to guide them. There's nothing wrong with that. We're disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's in our DNA. But listen to me. You think you're so in that you want to guide. You think you're a true believer You want to guide people, and that's what that word means in verse 39, the blind guiding the blind, and yet you're blind to your own sin, thinking you have spiritual insight when you're simply heading headlong and others are following you right into the deep, dark pit of hell itself. So there's a warning here. 
Jesus is trying to help us. He's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to hurt our feelings. He's trying to help us. Are we the blind guides in this passage, professing disciple? Are we the blind guides? And there are true disciples among us, and there's true disciples that were listening to Jesus, and there it's a warning for a true disciple as well. And here's the warning. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. Who's your guide? If you follow a false teacher, he or she will lead you to the place of destruction. It's not just not going to be not fun now and cost you a little cash. If, if you don't get out of it, it's, it's going to destroy your soul into the deep pit. Not in this life only, but the pit of deep darkness in the life, of come, in the life to come. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, beware false teachers, beware false gospels. A true disciple, therefore, is one who is not blind. His eyes, her eyes have been opened, open to see their sin, open to see the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the encouragement. We had the warning, now we have the encouragement. We are encouraged, we are encouraged here that genuine disciples of Jesus Christ are followers, are learners of the guide, the guide, our Lord Jesus Christ. And our guide, how's his vision? How's his vision? Is he blind? Does he have blind spots like us? No, no. No one sees perfectly except our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one to follow. Stick near to Jesus. He is the light of the world. And the text says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, and those who follow him will not walk in the darkness but will have the light of life. And so get the picture. Yes, if you were going to follow a blind guy and patently put the shoulders on there and they lead you around, they go to the left, you go to the left, you go to the right, they go to the right, and you follow blind leading the blind. What if that was Jesus, whom we in our dark spots, in our incomplete knowledge, but we trust him, we put our hands on his shoulders and he say, you are my guide. You go to the left, I go to the left. You go to the right, I go to the right. There's encouragement here to keep our hold upon Jesus, even though now we see through a mirror dimly. And if we hold on to him and follow him, we're never going to fall into that pit. Keep near to Jesus. Keep near to Jesus. And so there's a call and encouragement here for true disciples to follow Jesus. But I understand, as you hear from Jesus... What a disciple has other disciples following them. And there's a heart in all of us to teach and to guide others. And so there's an encouragement here to take very responsible our, our um, call to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ and, and to lead people in the path of righteousness as they follow our example. Parents, parents, listen to me. Your kids will never grow beyond you. 
pastors. Pastors. Are we guiding them to the place Christ wants them? So a true disciple says, oh, Lord, I don't want to be. I have blind spots. Teach me according to your word. I want to be rid of these blind spots. I want to grow in wisdom. I don't want people falling into pits. And so we just long, when we, and true believers cry out with psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in Psalm 119, verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Oh, Lord, help me to listen to your word. I long for it. Help me to obey it, because a true disciple is a guide for others, and it's a godly desire to guide others. So there's a warning and there's an encouragement here for professing disciples. Secondly, and building upon this, because each of Jesus' parables stack upon each other, this guiding that we're talking about is teaching. It's teaching. That's why Jesus turns to the second parable, the pupil and teacher. Verse 40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. So he's saying, okay, here's how this guiding takes place. It's through teaching. Now, in that day, and in the day of COVID and Zoom and all of that, Teams garbage teaching, which I do on Thursdays in radiology. Yeah, you sit at home, you have a book open, you're on Zoom. That's not the teaching that Jesus is talking about. He's the teaching of mentorship. He's the teaching of walking, of Jesus and, and people walking with him, living with him, eating with him, sleeping with him, seeing how he responds to circumstances, how he responds to trials, how he teaches, how he answers his question. The teacher and the pupil, obviously the teacher's more important than the pupil, right, the follower, but they're in relationship together. They're in life together. And so it is that the goal of a teacher is for the pupil to be like you, to follow your example, not just to know your head knowledge, but to live like you. This is the idea that we're having here with the teacher and the pupil. That's the natural outcome. And so there is a warning and an encouragement here then for professing disciples. There's a warning, and it's similar Be careful who you're following. Be careful who your teacher is. Hosea chapter 4 verse 9 says, And it will be like people, like priest. So I'd ask you, believer, who is your teacher? Who is discipling you? Are they standing upon the word of God? Does their life demonstrate the fruits of the spirit? Because it's not just head knowledge teaching. There's a training that goes on. And and Jesus is saying here, you are becoming like them. You're becoming like them. 
So it's a warning against the scribes and the Pharisees of the false religion of that day. Don't follow their example. Don't follow their teaching. Their heart is far from God. If you follow the blind, you will fall into a pit and be destroyed. You ask how? Through teaching. Through teaching, their teaching and their example. Don't think of our teaching. Think of modeling. You will become like them. You will become a heart hardened, self-righteous, greedy, jealous, hypocrite, and you will be destroyed. You will be destroyed. You will become like them. It's a warning. It's a warning. But there's encouragement here as well. Of course there is. Here's the encouragement, and Jesus is still on teaching, is he not? He's the one with the crowd, what? Following him. Wanting to be mentored by him. You want to be like me? You want in? Okay, you're going to have to be like me. Here's the encouragement disciple of Jesus Christ, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. But here's the good news he's not on Zoom, he's not on Teams, he's not distant. He wants a relationship. He's walking with us. He's mentoring you. He's mentoring you. He shows us, not just by his word, but by his example, how to navigate with wisdom in this world. He shows us how to resist temptation. He shows us how, how to trust in our Heavenly Father in the midst of trials. And here's the encouragement. Here's the encouragement. I love this. We will continue to learn from him as true disciples of Jesus Christ. And eventually, what will the outcome be? We will be like him. Isn't that amazing? That's how he teaches. That's how he mentors. We will be like him. Praise God for that. And so we are becoming and will become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me a little bit of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 14. Do you remember that passage of those who were blinded under the old covenant, had a veil over their eyes and, and were blinded to even their own scripture text? under the old covenant ministry of death. But the text says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, Beholding where? Well, the veil's gone. When we read the scriptures, but not for us, we behold his glory as in a mirror in the mirror of the word of God. And we behold the glory of the Lord in the word of God. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the spirit. We have to understand that as we are in the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is not on Zoom. He is there mentoring through his spirit, teaching us in relationship, showing us what it is and what it looks like. And it's exciting to see the word of God in this way and know that we 
are beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus and are being and will be and finally will be finished being transformed into the image of Christ. For when we see him, we will be like him in that day. And so, the true disciples like Mary, like Mary of old, the true disciple, here's the heart, true disciple sitting at the feet of Jesus, Teach me, Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, not getting caught up in the franticness and the worry and the anxiety, but clinging to the one needful thing, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his word. Again, I I hate to pick on the parents in this room, but remember, (laughs) this is so humbling. This is so humbling. Disciple making disciples for those you're discipling. Maybe you're discipling someone in this church. Maybe it's in a Bible study in one of the women's Bible studies or the men's Bible studies, and these discipleship relationships have taken root. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe you're parents and you have children. All of those types of things. Listen, it's no joke. They are becoming like you. Do you you know the impact you have to point people to Jesus? Parents, listen again. Our children will never rise above our own walk with Christ because they're going to be like us. They won't. That's what happens. So so mom and dad, it's so convicting, but I'll say it. Teach your kids to have faith and not be frantic. Model repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Get into the word of God, parents, and to show them that you truly love the word of God. You're clinging to Christ in these difficult seasons. Show them what really matters, that being like Jesus matters. Clinging to his word matters. The suburbs and the big house don't matter. The scholarship doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Show them. What matters? They're becoming like you. Pastors, we lead only the authority that we have is the word of God and our example. We have no intrinsic authority. It's Jesus. It's his word and it's our example. If you cannot trust the pastors in this church, according to this passage, run! Leadership is no joke. Discipleship is no joke. Disciples are leaders. They teach. They guide. Disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, that leads us then to the next section. And it flows out of the first two. We have the blind guide. The pupil and the teacher, and now we have the speck and the log. You say, okay, how does this work? Well, you got the guiding is the teaching. The guiding is teaching. And if you're religious, because this is all about disciples and the Pharisees are right underneath, well, if you're teaching people about God and about sin, then you do the speck and the log stuff. That's just how you do your teaching and your mentoring. Am I right? And so he goes to the third parable about the speck 
and the log. Let's read about it. Verse 41. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Stop there. So if you're going to be a guide, you're going to be a teacher, you're going to be a teacher as a disciple, a professing disciple, then you're going to be concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. You're going to try to help your brother. And so then Jesus gets right to the heart of it where this whole sermon manifests itself. This is in some ways the heart of this whole sermon. He's calling out those would-be disciples who are full of self-righteousness, love to put on a big show and guide others and lead and teach and just plain enjoy in that process, pointing out the sin and failure in others but have not taken a deep look at their own hard heart. They're blind to their own sin. They won't look at it. Jesus has a nasty word for them. He calls them, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Not a great word. I'm glad he's willing to say it. You're always seeing, present tense, ongoing. You're always seeing the speck which is in your brother's eye. You're always looking for that speck. And therefore, you're the last passage. You're the one that has the judgmental disposition, the condemning disposition, the unforgiving and non-giving disposition because you don't have that new heart of mercy and kindness like your father. See what Jesus is doing? This lack of mercy and lack of compassion and lack of kindness shows up. And here's the irony. The word speck, in the original language, the word speck is a good translation because it's a small piece of straw, better, a small piece of chaff, like really small, or a little bit of sawdust. It's so small. Whereas the word for log is really a beam of wood. So as one scholar says, the main beam of a floor or the roof of a house. So picture the speck in your brother's eye, which is a little piece of sawdust that you need a microscope to see. But out of your eye, okay, a 20-foot picture, because of 20 feet might, might, be, might be too short, a 20-foot railroad beam coming out of your eye. There you are. You're walking around. Okay, you see it? It's swinging, swinging around. It's coming out. You go up, hey, let me help you with that speck, and you bludgeon them with the railroad tie. You bludgeon them. You can't see the beam in your own eye. And so you're beating people to death with judgment, condemnation, self-righteousness, arrogance, a critical spirit, and unforgiveness. 
lack of love. Pure hypocrisy for those who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not just an attack on the Pharisees, it was. Certainly underneath this, but it's for all disciples. And there's a warning and there's an encouragement. There's a warning here of play acting when it comes to Christianity. Of play acting. That's what hypocrisy is. Putting on a show. It's it's trying to be something on the outside. A guide, a teacher, an expert sin finder. When all you're about on the inside is self and pride, that's hypocrisy. And, And Jesus wants us as disciples, professing disciples, to examine ourselves for this kind of a heart. Not a heart that has been made tender, that is poor in spirit. But a heart that is critical of others and not humble before God. It's always looking for the sin in others, always shifting blame, always got the answer. But there's encouragement here as well towards true discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There is encouragement here. And here, true disciples hear this kind of thing and says, Lord, please help me. (laughs) I don't want to be like this. Holy Spirit, change me. May I be sensitive to my own sin. Help me to see it. Oh, oh Lord, I don't want to just see my logs, but how about the planks and the specks too? Show me my sin. And, And so we come to a sermon like this. Here's a good litmus test. Are you applying this to someone else or to yourself? Who are you applying this sermon to? May we apply the sermons to our own logs. May we have the heart of the psalmist. My favorite verse, you know this about me. Psalm 139 or one of them. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Father, help me to be sensitive to my sin so that it's like so that it's so painful that that I would be willing to have someone help put the eye drops in. I'd be willing, Lord, to, to, to have help, to have Am I it washed out with the water of the word of God? That someone might come to me and say, you've got something that needs to be changed. And I'd say, teach me, teach me, teach me. According to the word of God, I'd have that heart. I want to be like my perfect guide. I want to be like my all-wise teacher. This is a call to take a thousand looks at yourself before you take one look at your brother or sister. Make me to be sensitive to my own sin before I try to guide and try to teach and try to help my brother. Because you see, there's nothing wrong with guiding, is there? Is there anything wrong with teaching? I hope not. And certainly, there's nothing wrong with helping a brother or sister who stumbled in their sin to show them their speck or their log. We are supposed to judge and discern. That's a dangerous place they are in. We want them to grow We want to grow. We've got to make discernments and judgments with people. We are our brother's keeper, but it must start with ourselves. 
That's the heart of Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore someone in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. Certainly, I I believe Paul had Luke 6 on his mind, looking first to himself so that he can see clearly to remove and restore a burdened brother or sister caught in a trespass. I like to travel. I like to fly in airplanes. I always have. So just hear me on this. You always secure your own oxygen mask before you secure the oxygen mask of the person next to you. Work on yourself. You need oxygen too. Then you'll be ready to help others. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, you are the best teacher. Jesus, use your word to show us our sin so that we can be a blessing to others. This is true discipleship. This is integrity. This is the meaning of the parable of the blind man, the pupil and the teacher, and the speck of the log. They teach us about the danger of hypocrisy in their warnings, and they teach true disciples the joy of the pursuit of integrity where our inside matches our outside. But these parables have one singular underlying point, and that leads us to our second point. Number two, grasp the one point to dig. Now I'm going to change this. Grasp the one point. Listen to the three parables. Now grasp the one point to dig down to the heart. Look at it in verse 43 through 45. I don't think we recognize the importance of the word for here in verse 34. Take a look at it. He says, for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick up grapes from a briar bush. Spiritually blind people destroy people they guide. Um, False disciples are produced when false teachers mentor them. And they become like their false teachers. Is that good fruit? No. Is it good to throw someone in a, in, a, in a pit? No. Is it good fruit to not look at your own sin, but to love to point out the sin of others and only see their sin? Is that true Christianity? Is that true discipleship? Is that good fruit? Answer, no. And Jesus gives an explanation. For. You don't want to know why this is? For. Let me give you the reason. For. Have you ever noticed it's connected? He says, if you're a good tree, then you will not be producing bad fruit. Or, if you're a bad tree, you will not be producing good fruit. I don't know if I said it backwards, but it's not how it works. Each tree is known by its fruit. So the question is, are you a true tree? Are you a good tree? In other words, Jesus is trying to ask the same question. 
He's trying to discern discipleship. Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, he says, the fruit of your life will match the state of your heart. The fruit of your life will match the state of your heart. Your heart will ultimately manifest itself definitively. A tree will be known by its fruit. A thorn bush will not have figs gathered from it. A briar bush is not just going to produce grapes. And by the way, God is not going to be mocked. He's not slow. God is not slow to discern this. We are, I am, you are, he isn't. He's not. God is not going to be deceived on judgment day. We may deceive, be deceived for a while. Others may be deceived about us, but ultimately our hearts will be revealed. A true disciple will be manifested. A false disciple will be manifested. You say, how? How can we discern discipleship? How does this work? For, for, further explanation, verse 45. Jesus goes deeper. Let me show you how this works, he says. He says this, are you done with the parables? Jesus says, you know what? I parabled you to death. You want the point of the parables? You want me to stop using colorful language? You want me to get right at it? Verse 45, four, here he does. He gets to the point. Here is the point of the whole passage. That's why I have to go a little long today. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For, how does this work, Jesus? For, here's the explanation, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Your heart, okay, the good treasure of his heart, your heart, your inner person, uh, the deepest core of your being, your thoughts, your who you really are, that is a treasure. I know what all of us proud people are thinking, oh, what a treasure I am. That's not what that word means, right? No, no, I think it's not a great translation. It's misleading. The heart, a better word for that Greek term, I think, a heart is a reservoir. A reservoir is like a deep, right, vat that contains something. It holds all kinds of stuff. So our hearts are a reservoir. People draw stuff from reservoirs. It stuff spills over, is taken out of reservoirs. What will come out of your heart? If it's a good heart, if it's a good reservoir, then good will come out of it. If it's a bad heart, a bad reservoir of stuff, then bad will come out of it. It seems pretty straightforward. It seems like common sense. But many people miss the clear teaching of Jesus here. Many would-be disciples. This is a crowd of disciples. They needed to hear this. Of course, the Pharisees, they needed to hear this, those Pharisees. And we need to hear this. What is the reservoir of your heart spilling forth? What are you giving to others out of your heart? What is spilling forth from the, re- the, the reservoir of your heart? Well, how do you know what's in there? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is speaking. It's as if the heart and its reservoir, its treasure, it's as if your heart is full 
And whatever's in there cannot be contained ultimately. It cannot be hidden forever. It's going to burst forth. It's going to spew forth. It's going to show itself. It's going to make itself real. Who you really are at the deepest core will be revealed. And Jesus is saying, and watch this, the words we speak will ultimately show the state of our heart. They come out of the reservoir of our heart. The mouth is the window to our heart. Bach is right, the scholar. What we say is an outgrowth of who we are, end quotes. Now listen to me. I am not going to go and cross-reference and take the pain of this passage away from you. I'm not. Jesus did not. We cannot play games with Jesus here. Do not play games with this passage. I'm serious. Kent Hughes helped me to see this. I'll paraphrase what he said. As a pattern, according to this text, the things we say help reveal what is in our heart and who we really are. Listen, if our tongue is generally rude, then we are rude. Uh, If your tongue is generally worldly, then you are worldly. Uh, If your tongue is generally faithless, then you are faithless. If your tongue is generally profane, then you are profane. If your tongue is generally mean, then you are mean. If your tongue is generally hopeless, then you are hopeless. Why? Because of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. You know why? Because our guide sees clearly on this. We don't. He sees clearly. And our teacher is speaking plainly here. And what he says, may we be enlightened by it. May we be guided by it. May we allow him to get in to our eyes and to dig around in there and to remove that log by our Lord Jesus Christ. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. It's pure, it's right, it's true. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. True disciples have a heart that's been changed. They're transformed in their heart. They have a heart that is like their father. Do they have a, um, are they a mixed bag? Yes. Do they have a heart? Are they new creations? Yes. Kindness and mercy and forgiveness is the reservoir of their hearts. God has changed you, believer. God did it. The Spirit has worked. God has helped me. And yet, what is the cry of the Christian? Because we're still a mixed bag. Oh, Lord, I don't want this anymore. Take that away from me. Forgive me for saying that, honey. Oh, I can't believe I went there again. Oh, that's the cry of a Christian. I want to be like you, Jesus. Are you going to the left? I want to go to the left. It's your ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. That's a Christian. Oh, Lord, cleanse me. I don't want to hide this anymore. I don't like it. And so my favorite verse now Psalm 19, let the word, this is a Christian praying. This is how disciples pray. Oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I know I'm over time, but bear with me. Such an important 
thing. I can't stop on this one. I want you to, as we conclude, I want you to consider yourself. Do not leave this place. Do not sleep tonight without doing business with Jesus. If only when I was 19, some faithful preacher of God's word told me this and got rid of this fire insurance junk that I was under. It wasn't until age 27. Do not be blind, but think you see. Do not be teaching others when all you know is falsehood. Do not be judging others when you have a beam in your eye. Do not be confident that you are a disciple when your mouth argues a bad heart. If you are responding to this message about the dangers of hypocrisy and the spirit is digging down right now to your heart into that reservoir, praise the Lord for it. I didn't say it wasn't painful. It is painful. Let him dig and just pray, oh, Lord, I see it. Please give me a new heart. I see my sin. I need you, Jesus. I see it now. I need you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't change my own heart. I can't do this anymore. Cry out to him. Stop playing games. I did for 27 years. I played games. Stop playing games. And Christian, listen to me. If you're going to follow Jesus, you cannot cultivate the externals. You've got to cultivate your heart. You've got to cultivate your heart. I can say amen more and more to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4 and verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23, watch over your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And you know what the next verse is in verse 24? Put away from you a deceitful mouth. And put devious speech far from you. True disciple, discipleship flows from the heart. So consider yourself and consider the stuff that sometimes comes out of your mouth in the midst of your trials. And then consider Jesus. Consider the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man, listen to this. He never sinned with his mouth. What a treasure. We can use it in his case. What a reservoir of overflowing purity in the heart and life of our Lord Jesus Christ. What gracious words poured out of his mouth. Look, here he is suffering your hell in your place. You know what came out of his mouth? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus, remember me. When you come in your kingdom, truly, I say to you, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, today you shall be with me in paradise. And when Jesus hung there and saw his mom and his beloved friend John standing nearby, woman, behold your son, then behold your mother. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yes, 
words of anguish and words of suffering, but as our author Arthur Pink notes, words of forgiveness and words of salvation and words of affection and words of contentment and one word of victory, one word, tetelestai, it is finished. Oh, disciple of Jesus Christ, be encouraged that the sins of your tongue have been removed and you have the righteous speech of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, be encouraged. He's not done with us. We are half-baked. I get it. But we are still in the oven of his grace. We have, we have to be guided by him because we have our blind spots. We have to be taught by him because we don't know it all. We have to be judged by him because he has no, he has no speck or log to blur his vision. But what a joy it is, isn't it? Come on. What a joy it is to be guided and taught and judged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come to thy book, Holy Spirit, and do this work in our lives. What a joy, for he is gentle and lowly of heart, and in him we have found rest for our souls.